for all those who feel called to build something bigger than themselves, but have no idea or representation as to how to bring it to pass. This podcast is for you. Let's figure it out together. Get ready. Let's build. Four, three, two, one. Everything that you've been through up until this point has helped you create your why. And when you have a strong why, nothing will stop you. What's up, y'all? Hey, my life, my life, my life, my life in the sunshine. Everybody love the sunshine. It's not everybody. Everybody love the sunshine. My, <laughs> hey, what's up, y'all? Uh, my favorite character ever. I say favorite a lot. I'm such a extra person. One of my favorite characters was Uncle Bobby from The Proud Family and how he used to say everything. <laughs> Bring my mama back so she can make me a snack. <laughs> but anyway, that's who I was channeling when instead of like everybody, everybody love the sunshine. <laughs> anyway, that's a song called Sunshine by Roy Ayers. Praise the Lord. Hey, how you doing? Thank you for tuning into this. Wow, what a great thing that you, um, you press play. You pressed play and we just want to celebrate you for that. We just want to honor you that something in your heart moved you to press play today. And my, my, my belief for you and what I want is that not only did you press play on this podcast, but you just press play on your destiny. (laughs) Don't you? (laughs) Ah, geez. It's so easy to be um, fake deep. It's like not even hard. This is not even hard. But they're like actual people who do that. When you press play on this, you press play on the best season of your life. It's like, no, you didn't. You just press play. I mean, it could be if you like listen to this and put the work in. But they're not ready for that conversation. How you doing? I'm sorry I'm on one today. But I'm really not because this is my podcast. So, oop. Listen, wow, life is life. You know, we are here taking it a day and a week at a time. In case you don't know, my name is Princeton, which if you got through like the whole podcast and introduction thing and didn't know that, um, that's weird. However, we welcome you. My name is Princeton. Last name is Parker. You know, my middle name is Irvin. Most people don't know that. So random facts with Princeton time. Middle name is Irvin, so there's that. <laughs> What's up, y'all? We are continuing the anxiety series. I want to make it through these because I think these are valuable for you to be able uh, to hear this because it was certainly valuable for me and it was valuable for our church. And so um, let's keep this going. I don't even want to have a long intro, but let me tell you what this episode is about. I know you saw the title and was like, oh, that's interesting. I really believe that sometimes our expectations are killing us. Sometimes we live by these expectations that are created by the wrong thing, and then we're hyper led down. So I want you to know going into this sermon, the goal is to not have you live without expectations because that's unhealthy. You have to have some expectations, but you and I need to practice asking what built these expectations. Because if those expectations were built on people, if they were built on over romanticizing of certain things, if they were built on culture, if they were built on things that just aren't stable or healthy or wise, then we are going to set ourselves up all the time to be let down. And so I think much of our anxiety is because we built up this narrative of how life is supposed to go that was never really healthy or sound in the first place. And so um, I talk about all the things that deal with anxiety. Sometimes it is our brain and the synapses and it is purely neurological and it needs to be addressed as such. Sometimes it's because of trauma of things that happened to us that has now created um, the anxiety that we deal with in situations. But in this episode, I'm coming for us Because at some point in our healing journey, we need to center in that there might be some things that are in me that I've built up that are contributing to my anxiety, that maybe I'm more in control of my peace than I understand if I would just let go of some of these expectations. So 
I take you into one of the most interesting Bible stories to me in the text, and we will unpack how there was this brother who literally did not want to walk into healing because the process looked different than what he thought. Oop, I feel like I'm in your bag already. I feel like I just read you before we even played the sermon. (laughs) But here's the thing. I can only read you because I read myself first. I think I let a lot of things I watched on social media and and oddly enough, if we're just, let's call a thing a thing. I oftentimes compare myself so much to other young influencers, to other young people and old people. And y'all, because I'm comparing myself to their experience, I feel down about my own and watch this. I have in many senses delayed or outright denied aspects of my process that were going to catapult me to who Princeton is uniquely. But because it didn't look like so-and-so's process, I was like, yo, I don't want this. And therein, we create anxiety and we reject our healing. So let's get into this. About to hit hard. We're going to talk about it's not what you thought. (laughs) It ain't going to be what you thought. How our expectations are killing us. All right, here we go. Brace yourselves. Let's get into it. Second Kings chapter five, verses one through 17. And it is a familiar passage of scripture that I'd like to shed a different uh, light on if we can, and, and not different because there's nothing new under the sun, but an opportunity for us to look at it um, in a way that I believe will help us in the work we've been doing in our series on anxiety. Um, if you would, I don't do this too often at the nine o'clock service, but my heart is elated. My grandmother is here uh, and I am just so ecstatic. And elated for her uh, on September the 5th, uh, she made 80 blessed, wonderful years uh, that she's been with us. And everything that I am is because of her yes to God. My aunt, Auntie Sherry, who if you didn't know, my manager, as I like to call her, is here. And I'm glad that uh, that they would stop by to hang out. One of the most beautiful things that's happening in the life of our family as all of us are walking into our purposes. Um, Granny's got a triple hitter today in that all three services she will attend today will be preached by one of her grandchildren. And so she's with me at nine. She's with my cousin who's preaching at 11 and my other cousin who's preaching at seven. And so uh, excited to have her here and excited for this day. Let's look at second Kings chapter five. We're working on anxiety. Now, a a, a central part of looking at anxiety, a central part of of understanding it. Remember, we've been moving this all year long, and I've still got so much more to give you. It's going to keep getting good, I promise. Remember that this hinges on our understanding of application of John 10 and 10, which is that the thief cometh not but for two, uh and two, and two fantastic. Jesus says, I am come. There is sort of an addressing statement that says that you're not to focus primarily on what the enemy's doing. It is good for you to be aware, but what you should live your life based on is what my purpose is, because that is the purpose that's going to stand. So he says, that's the purpose of the enemy. That is is the, the purpose, the ability, the objective. But he says, I am come. My purpose is that you might have what? Life. And see, that's super important because that is what hinges this discussion, right? That it is life and life more abundantly. We address that that first life is a salvific life, salvific of or relating to salvation, right? Come that you might have life, that you might have right standing with the father, salvation through the cross. Life and life more abundantly refers not just to my life as it relates to my eternal standing, but my quality of life as lived upon the earth. Does that make sense? All right. So that's what we've been unpacking. So now life and life more abundantly. And so we look at that life and life and I I want to be saved and delivered, want to be saved and healed, want to be saved. And I want to have life and I want the fullness of what Jesus has promised me. And one of the realms that we typically ignore or just don't have the tools to pursue that life and in is in our mental health. That we find it for everything else. We've learned how to get houses and cars. We have, we've learned how to, how to be middle class and proud. <laughs> we, we have learned uh, how to, 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 to a small extent, we've learned relationships. There's so many teachings on marriage and dating and all that stuff. But, but where the enemy continues to gain ground because we don't have the discussion, because some of us still face the stigmas that are against it, are in the battles against our mind. 
And so we've launched this journey to say, what happens when I'm saved, but I also deal with this anxiety? And how do I understand that? And more importantly, how do I pursue a life of freedom and healing? So we've gone through all types of different things, but let's launch into part six. We address that anxiety must be dealt on all three levels. If I am If I understand myself as a sort of tripart being, that I am a spirit, but I have a soul and I live in a body, that anxiety must be addressed on all three of those levels, right? That for me to address it on just one level would leave me incomplete, right? So the spiritual level is prayer. That's what most of us grew up with. Just pray about it. It's like, okay, fantastic. However, I must also address it on the soul level, my mind, my will, and my emotions. And then I must address it on the physical level. And we unpacked that. We unpacked what all those three levels were, how you respond to them. And we also unpacked the fact that that is the way that Jesus did miracles. We looked at his interaction with the woman at the well and their conversation existed on all three levels, right? Let's talk about your Let's talk about religion and, and faith and talk about worship in the mountain, right? Um, and then Jesus saying, you worship what you know not. Let's talk about thirst. The conversation began on the physical level, right? So it began with, hey, we two folk that want water. Let me hold some water. Uh, they talked on physical. They talked um, on the spiritual level because Jesus eventually tells her, the water I give you will thirst no more. But the way that he gets in between the two is by dealing with her on her emotional level by saying, hey, who's your husband? And yeah, I ain't got none. And we unpacked. This is not Jesus um, trying to shame her. This is not Jesus trying to expose her. It's Jesus turning the conversation to the inward part of her so that he can heal that too, so that she can be fully whole and have life and life more abundantly. Last series, last month, we looked at the fact that Jesus, even Jesus, the savior of the entire world, the one who is that, who was and is and is to come, even that Jesus struggled with anxiety. Luke uses a very particular word to talk about Jesus' experience in the Garden of Gethsemane, and that word was called agony. That word agony comes from the Greek word agon. Anybody remember this from last month? As he talked about the the agon, the Greeks would have understood as they were reading that, that it referred to a war zone. It referred to an arena where a battle of strength took place. So in Greek culture, there was a small stadium, and inside that stadium, they would have two opposing forces come together, and the primary competition was one of strength. We're going to go against each other and just, I don't know, pull or I don't know what they did. But the goal was to see which power was stronger, right? So as Luke is painting this picture of Jesus in Gethsemane, what Luke is allowing us to see is that Jesus' mind has become an agon. His mind has become a place where two opposing forces are literally battling for strength to see which one will overpower. So there is a lot of uh, strength and encouragement that I can draw from looking at the fact that my Savior knows what it is to deal with anxiety. Let's dig deeper. Second Kings chapter 5. I'm going to read it in your hearing. Second Kings chapter 5. And let me read verse 1 through 17. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor. Somebody say, but I can't wait to talk about that at 1030, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel, a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, hey, um, maybe would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Maybe he should go to the prophet in Samaria, because maybe that might heal him. So one went in and told his Lord, this man Naaman, saying, hey, listen, here's what the man said, the maid, the maid said, that's fun, that is of the land of Israel. Verse 5, and the king of Syria said, Go. And I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver and 6,000 pieces of gold and 10 changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel saying, now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. 
And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so when Elijah, the man of God, had heard the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariots and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee. And thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, behold, I thought he will surely come out to me. Watch there. Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, behold, what? What are those next two words? I thought. I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farper rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. So the servants came and they spoke to him and said, Father, look, if the prophet had bid you to do some great thing, then wouldn't you have done it? So how much rather then when he said to thee, wash and be clean. So then he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again, like unto the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. I want you to repeat after me my subject for this. Uh, no, not yet. I'm just I'm setting you up. I love it. Y'all are so ready. That's what I'm, see, that's why I like the nine o'clock service. I'm telling you, y'all just be ready. You know, 1030 be like you owe them something. You know, they'd be like, come on. The best part was over. Y'all done sang. Now hurry up with this sermon. Nine o'clock. Y'all be y'all ready. You want me to repeat? Jesus. Y'all be ready to affirm. I am the righteousness of God. Yes. I love Jesus. 9 a.m. I love y'all for real. Here's my subject. Say this after me. Say, I thought. That's my subject. I thought. I thought. One of the biggest influences, one of the biggest causes of our anxiety is what we thought. We've talked about some of the external shapers of anxiety, right? We've talked about how it can be related to trauma. It can be related to a perceived, like anxiety really is at its core, it is about fear, a perceived threat of something happening, right? So when I see something or I'm in a situation and it triggers in me a perceived fear, then that creates a level of anxiety. I believe that there's something attached to this that I should be afraid of. But one of the other things that influences our anxiety, and I'm watching this happen in my generation, is that we build our lives on unhealthy expectations. And then our anxiety comes from the process of those unhealthy expectations not being fulfilled. The, one of the biggest reasons why we struggle with anxiety as a people, as a church, is because we have unhealthy expectations that create anxiety because now I'm watching for my life to go the way I thought it was going to go. Not the way it is most productive for it to go. Let me say that again. I have anxiety because I'm fixated on the way I thought my life was supposed to go. Not on the way it is most productive for my life to go. In our central text, there's a man named Naaman. The Bible is interesting in that it was not his leprosy that caused him the most pain. It was his unhealthy expectation. Let me show you. Let me show you that again. This man has a full on skin condition. And the Bible does not talk about him being frustrated in any way. We don't get language about him being angry until verse 11. And it says, and Naaman was wroth. Roth is a little is a little deep. Naaman was upset. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Na- Na- Naaman, Naaman was moved. He was unsettled. Now, 
I find it interesting that he wasn't angry when flesh was falling off. He wasn't angry. Watch this. Watch me now. When he had to put armor on top of skin that hurt. Let me take a step deeper. If I have leprosy, then that means that everything I wear is all day or a second of the day coming into contact with the hurt part of me. Wish I had time to deal with this. In his life, he's positioned where every day what he's called to do and who he is rubs up against each other. His flesh is leprous, but he wears an armor on the outside of it. But the two rub against each other. Have have you ever been in a place where the you that you know and the you you're called to be rub up against each other? The laziness of my flesh with the anointing of my spirit. The the calling of my service against the fact that the real me don't be liking people sometimes. And I've got to live in the tension of the fact that my armor is one thing, my skin is another, and for every day I try to walk, I'm going, ow, mm, ow, mm, ow, mm, ow, mm, ow, mm, And what amazes me is that Naaman has learned how to do life that way. Naaman has learned how to do life so that you don't ever see what he's really dealing with. Amen. Amen. Na- Naaman has learned how to hurt and don't nobody know. Right. Naaman has learned how to be in pain and can't nobody see it. Na- Na- Naaman has learned how to loan other people money and he's struggling. Naaman has learned how to stay up late for other people when he hasn't slept in days himself. Naaman has learned how to be hyper-achieving and still insecure. Naaman has learned how to be impressive before them and then know how to only have his brokenness show at home. I get this picture of Naaman. But I don't see where he was upset about that. The Bible gives me no insight in the text as to how he's feeling. I don't get how Naaman's feeling until verse 11. And all of a sudden, Naaman is upset. And what interests me is, he's not mad. I would have been mad that I had leprosy, if we're being honest. But like, look, ain't nobody got time for this. <laughs> Considering how rich and how influential I am, somebody got to do something. Somebody call Oprah, she'll call Dr. Oz, she'll call one of them other ones. Y'all, y'all put me at Cedar Sinai, give me cut, y'all throw me somebody who is able to fix this because I'm a little too important to have my flesh rubbing against my armor. I'm a little annoyed. That's when I would have been upset. But Naaman's upset when his process doesn't unfold the way he thought it was. His anxiety is not caused by his condition. It's caused by his unhealthy expectation. I want you to write this down. It is not wrong to have expectation. I want to set this up because this message is not about having no expectation. It is not wrong to have expectation. It is not wrong to have expectation. But it is important to know the difference between healthy expectation and unhealthy expectation, okay? It is okay to have expectation, but it is important to know the difference between healthy expectation and unhealthy expectation. Healthy expectation produces hope. Healthy expectation produces hope. Unhealthy expectation produces anxiety. And I'm going to show you how you tell the difference. Healthy expectations produce hope. 
unhealthy expectations produce anxiety. Bishop teaches us to say this. It's in line with what we've already been taught. I have a confident of good. Okay. I have to have expectations that are healthy because it produces me towards what I'm believing God for. If you have no expectations and you just accept whatever, you know, how many of us have people in our lives like that? Well, whatever comes. How much did they pay you? Well, you know, they just, I just do it for the Lord. No, listen. <laughs> listen. Okay. All right. Well, great is your reward in heaven. God bless you. You ask them like, oh, how, you know, how did that, how did that event go? Well, you know, we didn't expect too many people to show. All right. Well, you know. How'd you do on that test? Oh, you know, I, di- I didn't. Uh, <laughs> you do understand that you need to pass this class, right? <laughs> you, you do understand that, that we cannot just gamble and pray <laughs> before every test <laughs> and things work out. You do know that we pay quite a bit of money per unit for, the, for these classes. You have to have some expectation because it pushes you towards hope. One of the separators, though, between what is healthy and unhealthy is this question. What shaped your expectation? It's not do you have them or not. We all need to have expectation or else we're just going to be around here skimming through the flowers and and just imagining that at some point magic is going to occur. And it's not. But what determines what's healthy and unhealthy is what shaped those expectations. What shaped them? Was it shaped by God? Or by people? Was it shaped by God or by people? The expectations you have, whatever you expect to occur, was it, was it shaped? Was it influenced by God or by people? Watch this. Here's another one. Was it influenced by wisdom or fear? There's some of us that are driven so much by fear that we expect the worst in every situation. But it's not wisdom. Well, every relationship I've had and every friendship I've had and every church I've been to before, I just know mm -mm, that's fear creating in you an expectation that's now going to become your reality because you're going to receive what you expect to. Is it God or is it people? Is it shaped by wisdom or fear? Here's another one. Are your expectations shaped by your identity or your insecurity? Are they shaped by who you know you are? Or by who you're still trying to be. There's are people who expect things because they believe that they'll be somebody once they have it. There's a whole generation. I expect to make a million dollars. Not because I believe that I have a purpose with a million dollars. It's because I believe that a million dollars would make me valuable. We believe the same thing about marriage. I expect to be married. Why? Because I want to be married. That it doesn't necessarily come from a place of identity. It comes from a belief that once I get this, I'll be something. People want to be positioned in the church for the same reason. So now I start expecting things. And then when they don't happen, according to what I originally expected, now I must live in the anxiety that's created by the fact that I thought this was going to be this. But it might have been an unhealthy expectation all along. Was it shaped by God or people? Was it shaped by wisdom or fear? And was it shaped by identity or insecurity? And once I go down my list of expectations, and then we must ask the last question. Are these expectations out of purpose or out of pride? I expected that they would have promoted me. Why? Because there's more purpose for you in promotion? Or because you think you just deserve a promotion? Four categories. Is it God or people? Is it wisdom or fear? Is it identity? Like I know who I am, so I expect this. Or is it insecurity? I think I'll become something if I get this. And then is it purpose or pride? That's the place I must survey my expectations because healthy expectations will always give me hope. But unhealthy expectations will always have me looking at the clock like, I just don't understand why it ain't happened yet. Naaman has suffered with this condition. And I think there are a lot of things that I think are awesome in this. First of all, I think it's awesome that somebody, (laughs) that somebody who was not in power, they were a lower part of the social class than Naaman, but they had the solution for his healing. 
The Bible says that the idea for Naaman to go to the prophet of Israel came from his wife's servant. Somebody that Naaman, that the scripture makes clear, wouldn't have even spoken to. And she was the one that had the answer for his healing. We got to be careful because when your expectations aren't right, you will ignore the people who have the answer. And for many of us, and I love this, this happens in, in, in my generational context so much because everybody's doing this whole, like, uh, I want to be put on, I want to sponsor, I want to mentor, I want that kind of thing. And so we push for these people with lots of money. Meanwhile, we be walking past people who are at our church, who are at our school that have the answer, but because they don't look like what I thought my, okay. So we live in this anxiety like, God, I, I just, I don't have anybody. God, you just sit me. And God's like, no, no, no. I gave you 50, but you walk past them every Sunday. You walk past them every Tuesday. You walk past them every Wednesday because you're still chasing what you thought instead of where the answer is. And, and I tell this story about Bishop and I so often because uh, Bishop Jake says that he's, he, he was talking to a conference of young pastors and he said, you all choose your fathers based upon the size of their church. We chose our fathers based upon the size of their hearts. It became clear and profound to me that as Bishop and I began to walk together, that there was everything I needed in him from the father level, from the spiritual father and covering and care level. So if I was moving out of just trying to pursue something that, that looks like, oh, well, you know, this place beyond telling all this other stuff. And God said, what I need for you has been put in him. So you can't walk past where your answer is because it doesn't match your expectation. She says to her, to her mate, she, she says, she says I, I know where he could get healed. And this is how we know they wouldn't have had a conversation because she doesn't even tell Naaman. Somebody else, she has to tell her boss, they go tell the other servant that then go tell Naaman. Now watch this. Naaman then goes to his leader. And his leader said, I know how you're going to get healed. I'll send you to the king. The woman didn't say the king. She said, there's a prophet in Israel. Now, the king of Syria could have been doing a couple of things. Number one, he could have just been following protocol. That I'm not about to send you a Syrian into Jewish territory and not address the king, king on king and say, hey, listen, this brother ain't a spy. I know he's one of my commanders, but he ain't, he ain't on some other stuff. <laughs> you ever had to go do damage control before somebody, he'd be like, listen, I'm, I'm bringing so-and-so to the family reunion. Let me tell you, I just, it ain't, I ain't starting no stuff. We just, we talking again. It's a difficult thing. I, you know, I don't even know how I feel about them, but it ain't no stuff. They just, they hungry. I told them they could come get a rib. <laughs> He was outside. He was cold. I told him he could come inside. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. <laughs> he could have just been doing protocol. I, I, I look at this a little differently, though. I think that maybe the king of Syria, though he might have heard about God, wasn't quite all that impressed or didn't believe that there was that much power in Israel's God. I think, to me, that the king of Syria believed in what the king of Syria understood, which was government relations. So he says, the way I expect you to be healed is government to government. Watch this. It's the idea that the process was going to be governmental and cultural, not spiritual. The servant says, there's a prophet. The king says, no, let me, let me set you up with the king. What, what you're going to get is going to come this way. The king of Israel gets upset and says, this man is playing a trick on me. He's trying to start a fight, and I see right through you. Anybody playing with you? And he rent his clothes. It was, a, it was an outward sign of internal anger, internal grief. He ripped his clothes. The king of Israel ripped his clothes. And Elijah said, why are you being so extra, bro? <laughs> We all know you can't heal nobody. <laughs> that letter wasn't for you. <laughs> I like to think that the, that the Old Testament prophets used to throw shade all the time. Because we, we must remember <laughs> Elisha, 
is a byproduct of, of his mentor, Elijah, the man who came before him. And Elijah threw shade all the time. You remember Elijah was on the mountain and he was like, where your gods at now? They on break, you know? So I just think like Old Testament prophets, they just threw shade because they just believed that much in the power of God. So Elisha is like, excuse me, this was not for you. It's so that she would know that there's a prophet in Israel, not a king, but a prophet. Like, I, just, I just think he was over there just throwing shade. Like, But watch this. He thought, where's my healing going to come from? First change to his expectation was that it's going to come from Israel. It's going to come from people that don't look like you. First of all, before this, the solution is going to come out of the mouth of somebody that you walk past every day. It's the first way his expectations were broken. It's going to come out of somebody who literally pours your water. It's going to be the one who knows how to get you healed. Second expectation that was broken uh, is that your answer is in a different race than you. Uh oh. You're Syrian and you're gonna need to go to a Jewish camp to get healed. Watch this. You're going to have to submit to someone who is socially higher than you. This is telling an oppressor that he must bow at the feet of those that are oppressed so that he can find his personal healing. It's like telling someone with privilege that they must go to someone who is marginalized and at their feet will they find exactly what they need to be blessed. Some of us are too proud. Second way his expectation was broken. Third, his expectation was broken because um, he's almost turned away when he goes king to king. When his king writes to the king of Israel, king of Israel almost shuts it down. But then... Prophet steps in, and Haman's like, okay, cool. All right, we're about to get it going. Here we go. And all of a sudden, here comes the people, and he says, oh, here they come. And with the group, they start coming to meet Naaman. You know, they marching, they marching, they coming. They coming, they coming. Sir Naaman, yes, thank you so much. I've been looking forward to meeting Elisha. I've heard he can heal me. Well, he ain't come, but he told me to tell you. No, no, no. He, he didn't make it to our meeting today, but he sent us with some instructions for you. Oh, no. And, and what is interesting is, he said, you already making me stoop down to come to your territory. I already don't have to deal with you in general. I'm already doing you a favor by coming over here. I'm doing you a favor by coming over here and not killing all y'all. Do you, do, do you know? Oh, and, and you got nerve enough to not meet me. And then your set of instructions are for me to go dip in a dirty river. So Naaman is at the verge of not being healed because his process is not going according to his unhealthy expectations. Now you have a king who's gone his whole life with a condition that most say there's no cure for. And he's at the verge of doing what the God of Israel wants to do for him so that he might know that God is God. And he's about to check out of it because it's not going how he expected. He's about to give up healing for pride He's about to give up the best thing to ever happen to him because he's been scrolling on Instagram his whole life and just seeing the way it, watch this. I've seen the way it happened for other people. Sometimes the greatest things in your life are on the other side of your expectations being broken. If life had gone the way that I expected, I would not be here before you today. When I was in sixth grade, yes, sixth grade, Questions were asked of us about what we wanted to do and who we wanted to be. This repeated every year in the seventh grade and the eighth grade. In the eighth grade, the assignment was for us to make a poster board that contained our past, our present, and our future. In the section of the past, I posted pictures of my family, posted pictures of my founding pastor, Elder James Starr, posted pictures of um, the city that I was from and gospel music and everything related to faith. In my present, I posted a picture of the gospel album that I was listening to at the time. 
I posted a little container of these icebreaker bubble mints that I was in love with. I don't know if anybody remember those. It was these small little bubble things. They were just so effective. But in my future, I expected to go to Princeton University. We asked to interrogate, where did that expectation come from? Was it from purpose that I felt like my purpose was attached to Princeton University? Or was it for the pride of being able to say that Princeton went to Princeton? As you and I both know, that did not happen. But had I not gone to USC, I would not have met my best friend. Had I not gone to USC, I would not have directed the USC Gospel Choir, which would have led me to um, continue doing what I'm doing now. Once I got to USC, I expected that as a freshman, I would live on campus. But because I was accepted in January and not in August with the rest of my friends, by the time I got to USC, all of the on-campus housing was taken. So the only housing that was available was off-campus housing in these apartments. And the only apartments that were available, because your boy is late to a lot of things, the only apartments that were available at that time were these apartments that were almost a mile off campus. My expectation was that I would live with other freshmen. I ended up living with a gentleman who was a junior at USC. Had things gone the way I expected, I would have never lived with a gentleman by the name of Garrett Roundtree who's not only an amazing friend, but who is by far one of the most brilliant artistic minds of our generation. Had I not roomed with him, I would not have been four doors down from my best friend, Marcus Paul, which would have led to us deciding to be roommates the next year. Had I never been roommates with Marcus Paul, I would have never been invited to a church called Crusade Christian Faith Center. I can go on and on and on about the list of things that I had built in my expectations that were shaped some by my fears, a lot of them by what I see other people doing in their 20s, a lot of them by what I thought and think that life might be more enjoyable if I had. But the truth of the matter is the greatest miracles in my life have happened on the other side of my unhealthy expectations. That every time that God has challenged me to think differently, every time that God has challenged me to submit, every time God has challenged me to embrace a process that I didn't create for myself, I have found the most impactful healing. Are you standing at your own river today? Are you standing at a process that is not what you expected and you're saying no and in process you're saying no to the river and you're also saying no to your healing because this just isn't what you thought. I challenge you to reshape where you thought you'd be at this age. I challenge you to rethink what you would have accomplished, what you thought you would have accomplished by now, or where you thought you would live, or what you thought your children would do and become, or what you thought even the church might be, or what what you thought your friends or even your parents might be. That sometimes it is what we thought would be that's preventing us from embracing the power of what is. And a lot of us are only making our situations worse Because we're trying to turn what is into what we thought. And it's never going to be that. One of the most incredible pieces of advice that I got from a mentor, he said, the problem with many preachers is that they pastor the church they wish they thought or they thought they would have, not the one they had. This causes a lot of marital conflict because you're trying to turn the one you chose into the one you thought you would get. Well, I always thought that mine would just be a little more fun. I'd be a little more spontaneous. You don't ever just want to do nothing. You always just want to, you know. And so now you can't build on who they are and figure out how the two people really, really do the work of becoming one. There's a moment when you agree to be one, but the one is a a becoming. That Because I'm trying to make you into who I thought I would marry. Oh, well, here it is. So it's amazing how many people are married trying to turn their partner into their ex. I won't stay there because there's not enough time to do that. You're trying to make them your ex sexually, trying to make them your ex from a personality standpoint, trying to reconvert them. And and I can can speak on it because I I understand where you are. But the problem is you're still living in accordance with unhealthy expectation that is now causing you to not submit to the process of what is. 
I'm done after this. God has taught us to have expectations about what he has promised to do, not how he plans to do it. God has given us expectations about what he has promised us to do. He has taught us that his word is clear and we are going to expect every promise of God because God has told me I can. But God has not ever given me how he plans to do it. That is what creates this faith wall. God, I know what you're going to do, and I expect it, but look, I don't know how you plan. And this is why Bishop will say things like, I know God is moving. I just don't know what he's doing. I don't know how this is unfolding. And you'd be like, well, how can a pastor say that? Because Bishop is wise enough to know that I'm very clear about expecting the promises of God, but I'm not about to make myself go crazy trying to micromanage every piece of this process when it's completely out of what I could ever understand or see. When I expect too much of how the process is going to pan out, then I send myself further into anxiety. He was discouraged. He was angry. He was frustrated. But Naaman submitted to the process beyond his expectation. He he suspended his fear. He suspended his pride for just two moments. And out of that, he was able to stand up and do the thing that cost him the most but gave him the healing that he had been desiring his entire life. Healthy expectations will free you. It will free you to be present. It will free you to serve because you're not looking for how is all this going to add up? You just be like, look, I'm just, I'm serving. I'm trusting God through this process. Healthy expectations will free you to rest because you're not in control. I don't know what God is doing, but I'm resting because I am submitted. This is not what I thought, but thank God that his thoughts are not my thoughts. And thank God his ways are not my ways. And then healthy expectations will allow you to build discipline. Because now I'm focused on just being obedient, not on controlling the process. Everybody stand where you are. I'm going to pray you quickly and then we're leaving to set up for the 1030 service. I want you to know. That everything that God has promised will come to pass. One of my favorite preachers said something I never forgot. He said, uh, Dr. Matthew Stevenson out of Chicago, he said, the good news is everything God promised is going to come to pass. He said, the other news is none of it's going to happen the way you thought. <laughs> and I've just, I've never let go of that. I've just held on to that every, like every day, you know. God, God is going to save my family member, but it's just going to happen probably a different way than I thought he was going to save him. You know, um, God is going to send that person into my life. It just might be a different way than I thought. And they might be a little different than I imagined. God is going to send a mentor or a sponsor or somebody. They're just going to look a little different than I thought. They probably might speak a different language. They might have come from a different place. They might be educated. Whoa, 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 whoa. There it is. Okay. I have to say this. The reason why you have to be submitted is so that you don't get defensive when your turn comes. So that you don't start getting insecure and tense up when you're, okay, I don't have time, but I just need to say that for someone. Father, um, I pray over the anxiety that many of us have been feeling that's not external, but it's internal. Because we've been living with what culture has told us we should have. Well, you know, cool people do this and pretty people do this. And if you were smart, it just happens this way. God, you're not bound by a way. You're not bound by the way it happened for our moms and dads. You're not bound by the way it happened in our city. You're not bound by the way it's happened in culture. You're not bound by anything, by anything. You walk in accordance with your will and you determine what you want to do. So, Father, we just say yes. We say yes to your process. It's going to look a little different. We like, You want me to do what? <laughs> you want me to say how to who? You want me to go where? But, Lord, we say yes. It doesn't match our expectation, but it's in your will, and that's all that matters. And on the other side of that will be the healing we've been praying for. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Okay, yep, I think we all need to take a deep breath after that one. <laughs> hey, uh, that one was pretty was pretty cool. I hope that blessed you. It certainly touched me. And, um, you know, I think sometimes the biggest thing for us on our journey of anxiety is to remove the pressure that we've placed on our experience. 
Can I say that again? The biggest help for our anxiety is to remove the pressure that we've placed on our experience. So much pressure on our experience to be perfect, to look like other people's, to get there by a certain time. Like all of those limits and pressures that we put on ourselves then become pressure that we put on our minds, which create anxiety. Can I say that again? This is part two of the sermon. I'm about to add another 30 minutes to this podcast. I'm just kidding. But for real, though, the pressure we put on our lives then becomes pressure that is put on our minds and then that gets internalized as anxiety. And so uh, live out of the pressure. Let me tell y'all something. I'm about to be super, super honest. I had a conversation with my um, pastor's wife, our first lady, Pastor Jerry Patterson, who was phenomenal. And we were just chilling after church one day and, you know, I was pouring out my whole life. (laughs) And she said something powerful to me. She said, I want you to stop building a brand and remember to build your life. She was like, because they're not the same. And I was like, <laughs> oh, God, oh, God. <laughs> but no, she read me, y'all. She read my whole life and was like, you are trying to be something and about to miss like living. And, um, you know, we we're talking about my life, particularly as it related to dating. And she was like, look, what I don't hear is I don't hear you enjoying the experience. And that it sounds like a lot of stress and love was not meant to feel like that. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, <laughs> read me like the back of an iced tea bottle. Um, and so I want to pass that on to you because I don't want to be read by myself. You listen to me. <laughs> Stop building a brand and uh, start building a life. Take the pressure off. Take the pressure off and remove some of that anxiety so that you can live in fullness because God didn't call us to live in that pressure. God called us to have life and life more abundantly, John 10 and 10. If you ain't, if you ain't know no scriptures after these 96 episodes about anxiety, you ought to know. In fact, Lord Jesus, I'm about to be calling this the anxiety podcast. No, I'm not because we about to talk about some more stuff come into this series. But anyway, the point is our expectations are killing us and maybe there's room for us to take a step back and say i am going to do and be different so i free you i release you and i'm praying for you on this journey because you and i are the same we're both going through this and i just decided to study the journey and figure out where it was in the bible so here we go more to healing more to peace i love you so much and i really mean that And it means a lot to me that you listen to this. And I pray that it continues to bless your life. Go ahead and hit the like button, subscribe, um, and also share, 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 share this podcast um, with someone so that it can continue to be a blessing. Um, And it can continue to hopefully help somebody else who's going through this experience just like us. Follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the things. Shoot me a message. I want to hear from you that this is blessing you. All right. Again, as I say always, with God as your foundation and purpose as your motivation, keep building family.